Welcome to another episode of Money for Nothing. Today you'll be hearing part one of a two-part conversation that Sam and I had with Matt Dryhurst. Sam and I have both talked about Matt and his work on the podcast before. Uh, he is a writer, musician, teacher at NYU's Clive Davis Institute in Berlin, an artist and frequent collaborator with his partner Holly Herndon on Awesomely Wild and Experimental Music and Projects. They also host a great podcast, Interdependence, where you can hear him and Holly talking about all kinds of interesting things uh, around music and technology and art uh, with a wide array of really interesting guests. But until this conversation, we were probably most familiar with Matt and his thoughts, opinions, and involvement with Web3 and the significance of blockchain technologies and its relation to music, independent artists, labels, and so forth. And of course, if you listen to us, you know there's a lot of skepticism around a lot of things connected to blockchain, like ETH, NFTs, or crypto. But Matt Dryhurst has always occupied this interesting space where he very much is an advocate for these technologies, but he isn't also a Silicon Valley tech guy either. Uh, he's an artist himself. And as you'll hear, he very much believes that these coming technologies can help solve or at least alleviate a lot of today's issues that are constantly topics of conversation online amongst independent artists, music journalists, labels, and so on. So needless to say, we were pretty excited when Matt got in contact with us asking us to chat. So the conversation we had with Matt ran almost two hours, and that's why we're deciding to split it into two episodes, but we do believe it's worth listening to every minute of it. It's very fascinating. Before we jump in, once again, please rate and review us. Follow us on Twitter at M4N Podcast. You can always email us at moneyfornothingpodcast at gmail, or of course, subscribe to our newsletter at moneyfornothingpodcast.substack.com. Okay, here's part one of our conversation with Matt Dryhurst. Enjoy. So I guess to start, if I can just jump right into it, um, Matt, you recently hit us up directly because of our last episode on Bandcamp and maybe the one before it, as you were, as you were just telling me before uh, Sam arrived. Uh, you know, we were trying to parse out the Epic Games takeover and not only like assess the what and why of it, but also think on like what it means for independent artists, quote unquote, and like the shifting sands of what that even means to be independent. And then, of course, the question always arises around fair and equitable and more importantly, uh, viable alternatives to the Spotify's of the world. So like obviously you've written, talked and tweeted a lot about the so-called independent culture, its ties to Web 2.0. And I think that like the one thing that you seem to advocate for a lot, or at least how I'm interpreting it, is like envisioning and shaping a future that is less independent and more interdependent, as the name of your podcast is, uh, where maybe like artists, labels, magazines, whatever, work more collectively in order to create kind of a more viable and sustainable counter industry. And to do this, it seems like you believe that that uh, doing this on chain via DAOs and profiting from crypto is like that that pathway. So, like, please tell me if I'm interpreting this incorrectly, but I feel like jumping into the into this future you're often advocating for and specifically how it relates to music and the music industry might be a good way to frame our convo. Totally. Yeah. No, I mean, well, that was the thing. I listened to the last couple of episodes, um, really enjoyed, always love hearing from David Turner, um, really enjoyed your breakdown of the epic Bandcamp debacle. And then every time Web3 comes up, I'm like, we need to talk about Web3. Um, or crypto or whatever, whatever you want to call it, because yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I've, I've, I mean, for the best part of a decade, uh, been interested in ways to, um, you know, jump out of the web two kind of concentrated power web two platform paradigm and into something else. Um, and since about, I'd say 2016, I'm pretty crypto pilled, not gonna lie. Uh, so I'm, I'm definitely, I'm that guy, you know. Like I, you know, so I've been pretty, pretty vocal. I mean, on uh, about decentralized alternatives to to uh, to the platform economy um, since about 2013, 2014, and then pretty full on, uh, pretty full on crypto pilled since about uh, 2016. And I guess that you know, one of the reasons I think it's important to to discuss this stuff is. Um, you know, I think that term now means a great deal of things to a lot of people. You know, there's been a bit of a narrative hijack in the past 18 months with the NFT craze and markets booming. And let's be honest, also people having more time on their hands on Twitter, you know. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so I, I always feel the need to kind of intervene and be like, hey, like, you know, uh, crypto, Web3, whatever you want to call it. You know, th- these are many, there are many multiple kind of competing ideologies play in the birth of this new internet um and so i guess i'm here to 
maybe try and convince you all that ultimately what I believe are our shared goals coming from a quote unquote independent musical background, being concerned about the same kind of things. Um, I believe that those shared goals are more uh, feasibly executed inside, arguing inside the crypto tent than outside of it. Um, and maybe maybe we'll get into into why that is. But, you know, yeah. So I thought thought I'd reach out, you know, why not? Uh, 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 yeah, you know, the, yeah. The much, the much maligned, I'm a much maligned crypto bro, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it's I'm, yeah, we were very excited that you reached out. Like, uh, we, it was, it was, uh, yeah, I, I was glad, I was glad to get that DM. Um, but like, so I, I guess maybe, maybe like, Maybe a good place to start with you, can you like kind of outline like that sort of more utopic vision that you might have that's like, you know, very crypto pilled, as you put it, um, but specifically in regards to, say, like the music and music industry? Sure. I mean, maybe it's like it's worth giving a bit of a backstory, right? So like in I would say in the coming out of like Occupy period, there's a great guy I can recommend everyone look up called Nathan Schneider, who actually wrote a great book on on Occupy was very active there, is very much kind of like a, a student. He's a professor in Denver. Uh, he's a student of, of the cooperative movement. And in around about 2013, 2014, he and a few others were advocating for something called platform cooperatives. And the basic idea at the time was, hey, look, we're contributing all our value to Twitter, Facebook, whatever, right? Like their business model is that they kind of hold, uh, you know, they, they, take data from from all our different interactions, all this value, all this kind of content that we contribute to those platforms. They find ways to monetize it um, on interfaces that we don't have access to. Like, what would it mean if rather than these be, being centralized organizations, top-down organizations that we don't have kind of any control or any say over, um, what would it mean if, if all of a sudden, you know, we could own these things? And so Nathan came up with this concept around about that time of exiting to community, which is kind of a, a, a thesis that has existed in some corners and, and has actually happened in some corners of the cooperative movement, where, for example, you've seen private businesses ultimately ending up being owned by uh, the denizens of like the, the users of that business or maybe the employees of that business. And he, so he started seeding this idea around about then. Uh, he, he's, the, he's the guy who like pushed forth the idea about um, like, uh, user owning users owning like social media platforms. Exactly. Like then he put forth like, like Twitter or something exactly, like that, or maybe exactly, it was Facebook or something. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, which was which was a battle in you know around about 2014. It's really funny because you know, like fast forward the best part of a decade, and like Jack from Twitter is pretty on board with those ideas now, right? It's yeah. been a really long yeah. and and largely I think also well, Jack from Twitter doesn't want to run Twitter. Yeah, this is this is true. Thing. This is true. But there is you know there are uh, good people, some of whom I know actually, who were you know, working on the the project of of, of decentralizing Twitter and making Twitter a, an open source uh, a public good. Quite whether that will work or whether that's needed is another question. Um, you know, but I think but I think there there have been resources put toward that. Um, and so so long story short, like from where I was coming from, um, I was building and working on uh, kind of decentralized experiments, thinking about ownership, thinking about new kinds of ways to distribute. Uh, work from 2013, 2014, whatever, and from that got interested in Ethereum, um, which was a proposal that was put out around about 2015 that I saw, you know, had a lot of what I was interested in at the time, but was like way more complex and also way more robust. And and to be absolutely honest, many of the people working on it were just way more technically competent than I am. Um, yeah. And so the basic ideas for me were, okay, at the time, this was not you know, a particularly popular topic. Um, but all of the people involved were like, how do we, you know, make, uh, build global digital infrastructure that can be uh, ostensibly, you know, maintained by everybody in a feasible way, um, owned by nobody in particular, i.e. that's, this is the decentralized part. Um, and there are all kind of uh, kind of cool ideas on that, that that borrow a little bit from from the open source code movement, right? Like the idea of saying all these services should be open, transparent. Uh, there's a term called composable, which basically means anybody you know should be able to build on top of the work of others. Um, and these these at the time were very powerful and seductive ideas, thinking about some of the challenges that we face in 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 independent music. Um, and so since then, yeah, I've been since 2015, 2016, or whatever. Uh, working, you know, 
kind of casually, often in like an advisory role for many different organizations in the crypto space, which you know, has now kind of become, uh, you know, the narrative has been hijacked into, 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 you know, being described as, as the web three space. Um, yeah. And so for me, you know, the, the prospect of moving away from, uh, a few decision makers in California and Stockholm kind of hijacking and molding a one size fits all solution for, uh, you know, how all musicians have to run their career, uh, instead approaching this to say, there's a new potential internet in which anybody would be able to build and perhaps own a part of different uh, platforms or different, let's say, contracts or different approaches toward uh, customizing the, the economy around their own career. To me, has always been a very promising idea. Um, and and let's be clear, like you know, uh, there's a great piece that came out uh, last week. Andrew Chow, who also writes well on music. Um, uh, interviewed Vitalik Buterin, is one of the the creators of Ethereum uh, for the Time Magazine cover story, um, and exactly the kind of uh, ideological distinction I was talking about earlier uh, was outlined there, right? Where Vitalik is someone who I actually believe to be someone of really high character and high integrity, um, was outlining the fact that even intra Ethereum, there are huge debates between people who are interested in building out these networks as quote unquote public goods, uh, you know. Let's not let's not confuse this as a, you know we're not talking about public goods like a park like a like a public good under state jurisdiction but public goods in the sense of you know open permanently free to use permanently up and available for everybody globally something that you can depend on that won't change on you that kind of a public good um, there's a huge ideological distinction between what Vitalik is trying to build what people at Gitcoin are trying to build these are these are characters that I would align myself with. And let's say the board apes that end up on Jimmy Fallon, right? And I feel like, and I feel like these things are kind of compressed into the same conversation. Whereas in actuality, you, you know, uh, I was tweeting this the other day. Like, you know, I've never disagreed with people more than I've disagreed with some people in crypto. But that's actually a feature. <laughs> that's actually a feature of the space because right now there is an ideological battle going on for the future of the internet. And so it's my job, in a sense, to try and pull as many people who are smart and concerned about these things over into that battle because we need as much help as we can get. <laughs> so so just to kind of follow up, um, and I think we should kind of um, going forward, kind of, you know, move, move thinking, continue thinking about music, but but just to kind of focus on that, that, that uh, kind of open source ideology. I mean, it reads to me a little bit like a, um, in this moment when the extent to which kind of platform control over the internet was increasingly clear and kind of a broad social uh, at a broad social level this is it seems like a, an, an attempt to rescue some of the kind of um you know uh governments of the world you have no hold here 1991 utopianism a little bit like at least some of the some of the currents seem to be channeling some of that energy yeah i'd say that's fair i mean you can't you can't kind of separate when you're talking about crypto its origins in the cypherpunk movement, you can't separate some of that libertarian spirit from basically the whole space. Um, what I would argue there, though, is it really depends where you're looking, right? Like, there are certainly corners of, of crypto where the, I honestly have a lot more time for than other people because I just, I just get a kick out of like wildly insane psychedelic ideas. But there are corners of crypto that do believe, you know, that this is like the infrastructure that will see the development of new digital cities that will ultimately kind of bleed into the, you know, bleed into uh, sovereign new territories in, on earth, like these kind of extreme libertarian uh, kind of uh, utopians, dystopians, depending on, depending on where you come from it. Right. Like that's definitely there, but it just so happens that like a lot of the infrastructure that they're talking about uh, to build that does not necessarily need to be purposed toward that kind of end. Right. Uh, uh, it, mm -hmm. it, it just turns out that like, this new expanded tool set is really handy for lots of different uh, ambitions. And so, you know, the, the same tool set that would enable um, some, some kind of like a uh, 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 stoner libertarian guy uh, to envision, envisage, uh, uh, you know, a, a world, a world free of borders and, and city or sea states or whatever. It just so turns out that that same infrastructure is really, really handy for other ideas that are maybe more amenable to the progressive left, like right, the idea of uh, worker owned organizations, right? The idea of um, easy, you know, a, a really simple way to spin up a, uh, 
a digital co-op across countries with uh, with trust systems baked in that you know that allow you to do so with a bunch of strangers around a common mission. Um, these you know the same tools enable enable both things, right? So so in a way you know uh, while one of the kind of pitfalls of these kind of open decentralized permissionless networks is that you kind of have to get used to the fact that like the tools will be used by maybe some people you don't agree with and you can't really do much about it. That's one of the features of the space, right? There's no central authority that can tell people to not take a shot at building their seasteading state or whatever, right? Um, once you kind of get over that, it's like, yeah, but like what, what we're actually seeing, we're kind of moving into a period in which you know, we have a new open uh, permissionless internet with all these kind of interesting uh, new mechanisms built in that there's nothing to impede uh, you or anybody else from building your own personal, maybe more sober idea of what an ideal economy would look like for your local or or global uh, uh, global scene, right? Um, and so, yeah, like, as I said, there's plenty of people in crypto who I think are batshit crazy, Um I get a kick out of that sometimes because, you know, I, generally generally speaking, like, you know, coming from a musical background, like most scenes I've ever been involved with, there's always been like a lunatic French, right? It's like, generally speaking, yeah. when something dynamic is happening, it's like, you know, you're at the noise show and it's like, oh, wait, that guy believe, like likes that imagery just a little bit too much. You know what I mean? Like the, 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 there's, <laughs> there's always been that dynamic, but that doesn't invalidate, you know, that doesn't invalidate the potential of the tools. I think, and I think that's, that's kind of like a, a categorical error that, that is often missed from coverage of the space. And well, oh, well, well I, I just, I just wanted like, just like before we get like too, too deep into the weeds of this, like, I just wanted to like actually kind of just bring it back to like Bandcamp, And I'm kind of curious of like, this is like maybe uh, part of the reason why the motivated you to like reach out in the sense that like some of the problems that we were expressing when it came to Bandcamp, such as like you had a bunch of independent artists who felt like they were like a part of something and it turns out like, no, it's just like a privately owned company and like you don't have any part of it. It You know, in your mind, I guess like the, a more ideal space or like in a more ideal like band camp would be uh, some of the things that you're discussing right now, which in which like the, these artists would actually have a say whether or not like we want to be sold to Epic Games or whatever. Yeah, totally. So, so I mean, let's let's talk about band camp, right? Like. I, I quite like Bandcamp. I, I've always like uh, slyly referred, you know, the people involved seem pretty agreeable as far as, as far as kind of, you know, tech founders go. Um, they do a good service. It has been, I kind of colloquially refer to it as Band-Aid, which maybe is a bit cheeky. Um, but, in, but in my <laughs> mind, it's been like, you know, it's been this kind of, in a sense, like it's operated as a bit of a tourniquet where, you know, people who are transitioning from scenes that we might be familiar with that traditionally, you know, this is a label kind of record industry, uh, you know, record store kind of in the economy. Um, it served as a bit of a tourniquet or like a, a shelter from the harsh realities like of, you know, all roads lead to 15 second songs in which, you know, your your indie darlings all of a sudden have to, you know, become dancers or whatever, right? Like Bandcamp has kind of yeah. preserved us. It's our it's our blankie, right? It's like um, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, but 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 let's let's unpack like why people are maybe upset about it, right? Like people are upset about it. Um I think one kind of good argument that I've read, I forget who posted this on Twitter, but it, I think it was a fairly good argument is in some sense, uh, Bandcamp selling is a kind of uh, reminder that, you know, who was it that said this? I really want to credit them. Um, but like, it's a reminder that, you know, small ambitions, like just, you know, services that just kind of work to do just enough. There's not really much room for them in the world, in in a world of like, where everything has to scale and everything has to grow. And I think that's a very, mm. that's a great crit critique. Um, I believe in some ways that, uh, Web three or crypto offers some uh, offers some refuge in terms of that, but I think the bigger point uh, for me is you know when you talk about a band camp, the biggest concerns ultimately uh, can be en encompassed by a concept called platform risk, right? Um, and for those who aren't aware of what platform risk is, the basic idea is right, like when you're building anything, you have dependencies, right? Like uh, a classic example being something like you know people who built a following on SoundCloud. Um, it really means a lot to them that SoundCloud maintains its current functionality or doesn't go out of business or doesn't become X um, because all their followers are on there, right? And they can't take their followers with them. All their music is mm -hmm. on there. All the comments around their music, all their history 
uh, right? So, so there's always a degree of risk when you in, when you kind of depend on for your career or for your social life or whatever uh, a platform, and it really sucks when those disappear, um, as they have done, right? Like MySpace disappeared. Uh, that archive was a lot of that archive was lost due to you know someone uh, a mistake. Um, I believe and now we'll never know the history of emo. Yeah, well, absolutely, right? And it's like, and and as silly as that sounds, I mean. Silly no, I take that very. I take that very seriously. Well, I, like, no, no, I'm, no nuggets. I'm, I'm glad, yeah, and I'm glad to hear it, right? Because you know, five years ago, uh, I can't remember. It was around about five years ago when, when that data was lost. It was kind of like a, you know, a little side joke. And it's like now, you know, I go online and I see a lot of artists who, whether they know it or not, were are heavily influenced by uh, aesthetics that were incubated by MySpace, right? Like I see hundred gex yeah. and I'm like, Oh wow. It's like MySpace, <laughs> um, right. Um, so all of a sudden all that kind of rich musical history is also lost as a result of that. Um, and so one of the proposals, at least when dealing with, uh, with crypto is this idea of kind of permanent storage. Um, I, you know, uh, a million people in the world uh, had an opinion about hit piece, which came and went. No money was transacted. No one really got hurt, but it became, you know, this kind of poster child for all the ills of of crypto. Uh, not many people, sadly, are aware of a platform like Nina, um, which was, you know, built on the Solana blockchain. Um, was built by people deep in the experimental music scene, um, and their simple offering is basically to say, "Hey, like we built, they built kind of a a Bandcamp equivalent." in which everything is on chain it's super cheap it's super cheap and easy to use and most importantly uh, everything that you upload on there is permanently stored on you know, the complementary rweave blockchain right um so this idea of a platform risk of being able to say when i commit to something uh that stuff can't just disappear because you know bankcamp have other priorities because they have other pressures right let's be real like you know, when we're dealing with centralized platforms, when, you, when you're dealing with a Spotify, no one's making decisions at Spotify to benefit the noise artist, right? Sorry to break it to you, right? But like, that's just a reality. And I actually understand that reality, right? Their priorities, given how capitalized they are, given, you know, how expensive that operation is, whatever, their priorities is to help the weekends, you know, reach more people, right? So, so you're kind of like, you know, you're like a barnacle on this on this, you know, like a, a warship, <laughs> the, the, and you know, and you will travel with it wherever it goes. And it's the same with a bank camp, right? It's like I don't know what's in their mind. I don't know how good people they are. I don't know how bad people they are. The point is, is that artists really ought not to depend on the goodwill of a couple of decision makers when there are other options available. And the, and this is one of the kind of fundamental points uh, with crypto, which is certainly not perfect at this point in time. There's certainly a lot that needs to be built to fully realize this. But one of the principles there is let's get away from platform risk. And I'll give you a great example, right? Are you familiar with the NFT uh, service platform Hick et Nunc? Yes. And and yeah, and this is a, this okay, is a perfect right. example of what you're okay. talking about. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So for those who don't know, right, like, okay, there was a big NFT uh, battle, culture war, whatever raging. We we can or we don't have to necessarily talk about that. I can talk about that if you want. But like um, an alternative to, to minting these NFTs on Ethereum was to mint it, mint on the Tezos blockchain, which is a proof of stake blockchain, uh, which consumes, uh, you know, less energy, even though I think it, yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of Tezos. Um Irrespective, Hiketnunk uh, is an interface and, and a contract, an organization that allowed for people to mint these NFTs there. And it became a huge community. I think it was like hundreds of thousands of people uh, minting artwork for cheap, people collecting that artwork. And then at some point in the last few months, the founder decided to take it down um, uh, for his own reasons. It was a huge debacle. But for a period of time, you know, uh, not dissimilar to the Bandcamp scenario, but perhaps with even more kind of urgency, there were a bunch of people, artists who had built a, a following on there. They had collectors on there. All of a sudden, they couldn't access anything, right? The good news is all those interactions, all those connections, all those uh, uh, transactions were stored immutably on the Tezos blockchain. So within a day, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't a seamless process you know, a few well-intentioned developers just spun up a new interface to be able to read all that information. And lo and behold, the platform is back exactly as the artist wanted. Um, 
that's a big deal. It, it's a major conceptual leap from the state of affairs with the music currently, right? And so the the, the crypto proposition here would be to say, okay, well, look, look if Bandcamp was on-chain, if Bandcamp was built as kind of, let's say, a hyperstructure, which is another idea we can maybe go into, it's a kind of a, an open, permissionless uh, uh, service, public good that exists and will always work for the rest of time as intended, then, you know, you could fork that code and just leave Bandcamp running in the state it was on the 1st of January 2022, right? All these options are available within these new permissionless decentralized networks that just don't exist in the current internet. Um, and so while I don't think that, you know, uh, crypto presents some kind of magical panacea, there's still a lot of work and thought that needs to go into it. In terms of available options to ameliorate or maybe kind of like uh, make easier the lives of artists looking to build careers and mitigate against this danger of history just disappearing again and again and again. Um, you know, there's a lot of tools there, which is why I'm surprised again. And, and I know that, you know, Nina is, it's not as sexy to talk about Nina as it is to talk about hit piece, right? But Nina's still here and hit piece disappeared after five days. And Nina will be here in a year as will, you know, catalog as will, many of these other services that are being built on chain. Um, and so, yeah, it's my, it's my kind of job to, it's my job to pull over, pull over uh, as, as, as much enthusiasm as possible from the negative to the, the sticky, difficult positive <laughs> of actually building stuff that we want. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and that's <laughs> that sticky, difficult, positive, which is a lovely turn of phrase. Um, I mean, it's really interesting, and I actually do think that this is um, this kind of thing is one of the, the the things that does excite me about some of the possibilities of this space. But I, it, it was really interesting hearing you describe platform risk, and, and in my head, I was kind of thinking about um, the way that that could be applied to a far broader set of historical processes and dynamics more generally, and the way that then like putting that idea of um, being able to avoid some of that or mitigate some of that platform risk um, kind of out in the broader world. I'm thinking about like, you know, democracy, <laughs> current mass democracy was built with dependencies on a very vibrant, fairly localized press, at least in the US, right? And they just sort of, yeah. they, that's when they figured out in the 19, you know, turn of the century, they were like, okay, we're gonna have this kind of mass democracy and every city of a decent size is gonna have five papers. <laughs> and Yep. Clearly, that's no longer true. And clearly, you know, the, the endless set, set of issues about like uh, the decline of press and the, the difficulty that democracy has been having because of it. And just thinking about that as as a platform risk of types and that there's a whole, you know, the whole set of dependencies that various folks have in, in different ways, both fully coded in, but also maybe like more pragmatic business related um or political economy related and and kind of thinking i'd be i'd love to hear you think about like uh how much can this kind of how much of the platform dependency is like purely coded and how much of it is the you know adjacency to you know th let's, let's go back to that Bandcamp forking example and a version where Bandcamp the for the 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 bought out Bandcamp continues to have you know the advertising budget and the Epic Games support and the kind of things to keep pooling people with kind of, you know, standard economic slash political economic power into these centralized platforms while this kind of other this offshoot continues and allows functionality, but also may not be able to address the, 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 the full nature of, of, of those platform problems. I think I think no I think that's a great point. I mean, you know, I think in in some cases again this gets down to like some of the utopianism you might encounter with crypto where people really overscope the power of these tools, right? Like ultimately um, when you're talking about music or culture writ large, there are so many other dynamics that are outside of, you know, the technical infrastructures that we use that pull audiences in one direction or another, right? Like it's going to be really difficult, irrespective of, as you said, even if you could fork Bandcamp, it's going to be really, really difficult um, to fight against a tide where, you know, gaming is the new culture, everything's being eaten by gaming and, you know, 
uh, people with multi, multi million dollar uh, per month uh, advertising budgets are pulling people away from this special thing that you're trying to preserve. Um, you know, and I think that the, 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 the issue of, of, kind of the changing nature of democracy and all these different variables, like chaotic variables around it. Yeah, like absolutely. Like this is a complex ecosystem and I don't believe, um, and I would mistrust anyone or, or think them maybe kind of a bit too cool lady or a bit, or a bit naive um, uh, in thinking that, you know, simply moving over to these kind of new identity systems, uh, uh, you know, will, will, will tilt will tilt everything in favor of, of, of a more positive outcome. I think it's more, it's more complex than that. That being said, I think that these tools are useful, right? So, so it's really not a matter of, you know, this, this is one thing that, that uh, I hope this isn't like uh, taking your question into a different direction. No, this do is it. a gripe I have. It's a gripe I have more generally, right? Where it's like, um, I think, you know, in some cases when you talk about these problems, right? Like at the moment in the greater kind of tech clash culture war, there's kind of this, like looming uh, uh, perception that you know uh, that 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 tech kind of is always kind of overshooting uh, uh, it or overscoping itself, right? Like it's it's always overpromising because you have people going on Twitter and saying like you know this you know th- this new uh, invoicing software is going to revolutionize the world and make everything more equitable, and it's like yeah, that's ridiculous. Like that is patently ridiculous. Um, at the same time, you know, I think that it's also uh, you know, uh, I also have encountered that, you know, when I come forward and say, hey, there's like really, really powerful options with this new tool set available in crypto, um, I will often encounter, I'm not saying you're doing this, but I'll often encounter the perspective of being like, well, you know, how does this address uh, inequities in housing and stuff? And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, like, if I were coming to you and saying that this, you know, that a new wallet infrastructure was going to solve housing problems, I would be falling into this cliche idea of some tech guy who like has no sense of scope and no sense of perspective. Um, I think it's perfectly fine to advocate for better ideas, like just like marginally better ideas where there's more wiggle room, where there's more options for artists, where there's more kind of fail safes. Um, and that's what I think. And that's what, so, so in a sense, like what I'm trying to advocate for here are like sober tools that I believe will offer some pretty cool and actually quite psychedelic options for certain scenes, but I don't think that they are insulated from greater societal dynamics. Um, that's just that's just where it is. That being said, you know, I have heard it mentioned on the podcast, and and this is not speaking ill of anybody, you know, but like um, I have heard it mentioned on your podcast and on other things where it's like, you know, when the scope then becomes to kind of in the context of like you know, giving tools better, giving artists better tools to manage their careers, the scope gets so big where we start talking about like capitalism and like the state and so on and so forth. Oftentimes I find those critiques can almost like hurt more than they can do good because they become, everything becomes like so infeasible and impractical, right? Like, for example, like I've heard a lot of proposals where they're like, well, you know, rather than like engaging with the the messy, messy crypto where there's like money and there's crypto bros and there's tokens and there's ape NFTs and stuff like this. Like we should really be running, you know, the future music economy on the public library system. And I'm like, yeah, like that's a cool, you know, it's a cool idea. I'm like, well, like, why don't you add to that that like everybody gets like a lollipop, right? Because you, you know what I'm saying? Like I could say like the coolest sounding idea possible, that doesn't make it any closer to happening. Like, I don't believe that's going to happen. I think we're closer to an alien invasion than like, you know, like than the U S economy or like the major, you know, like, so I think, so I think scoping these things is really important. And that's like, if anything, I'm kind of like trying to present like a more sober, practical, absolutely optimistic vision of what we can actually do within our power now. Um, and depending on who you talk to, I get I'll get labeled like a you know a utopian capitalist shill. Uh, but but my argument is like no, I'm sorry. Like where things appear to be going, this gives us more tools to be more resilient and have more agency over how you know whether your engagement with music is as an artist or as an organizer or a writer or whatever it might mean. More tools are good, and these tools are powerful, and and they're working in their nascent stage. So you know, I, I, and and all this other stuff is like great. You know, you can definitely like 
the, the, all this other stuff sta- sounds good, but from my experience of you know nearly a decade deep into like trying to like really look at the at, at, at these infrastructural problems, you know, sometimes I feel like you can kind of like you know people can get romantically entangled in things that's just that are just never going to work out, and and fundamentally like when we are kind of transfixed or romantically entangled in these kind of infeasible ideas that just aren't going to work out, you know, the people we don't like are, are we're losing ground on them. You know, because the ba- because the actual battle is over here. Like the actual battle is, you know, is the future of the internet going to be done, going to be held on a permissionless chain or a permission chain? Is the future of NFTs, which like it or not, are here, right? Like, is that going to be happening on Spotify servers or is it going to be on an open permissionless uh, uh, network in which different people can, you know, can can compete in the ways in which in which value is generated for artists or compete for artists' attention in order to you know these are the actual battles that are going to define uh, in my opinion uh, the next the next decade of the internet right and so so yeah so I'm I'm ranting now but this is like a bugbear of mine I'm just like look we can all be various degrees of leftists here and we can all be various degrees of of critical or conscientious objectors but like I don't believe we're going to solve. Uh, the education crisis with a blockchain. I do believe that we can solve, uh, uh, or we can make like a bunch of cool options for artists and people who passionately care about culture uh, with these crypto tools. I think it's the best chance we've had for for as long as I've I, I've been following this stuff. Then again, Matt, I, you know, I have to say that may, maybe the uh, crypto evangelist should consider free lollipops uh, in the recruitment. It might work. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I was actually at East Denver, and there were a lot of there were a lot of like branded branded. Uh, I think there may have even been a branded lollipop. You know, so yeah, so yeah, l- lollipop game. Is like, but you get my point. No, right? yeah, it's of like, course, of course, of course. It's yeah, like yeah. it's like you know, just and so I, I feel like there's it's easy in some ways to look at the tech space, and particularly a, a tech space where there's a lot of money floating around there's also a lot of young people you know a lot of young people who like honestly like some people i've seen getting shit online i've interacted with these people and i'm like they're really well-intentioned they're just young they're just like their brain is weighted so heavily in their ability to execute cool things with code and they've never been to a music festival even though they're interested in it you know what i'm saying but like because they're 21 and they grew up in like the middle of nowhere and they didn't get to move to a city yet. You know what I mean? Like, um, and so I think that like, uh, maybe, maybe being a bit of a provocateur here, like I personally see like, uh, uh, you know, prosperity gospels and motivational gurus. I, I don't like, I equally have distaste for like negativity gospels and like demotivational gurus who like are just constantly on the negative about people who are trying to build new shit. Um, and when you poke at it, fundamentally, the only idea they have is like, oh, well, you know, the state should just run the internet or something, right? And I'm like, that's not going to happen. Like, I live in Germany. Like, we have public art support here, and that shit's imperfect, and we can talk about that forever. But, like, that's not going to happen. It sounds good, but it's not going to happen. So let's not, like, throw the baby out with the bathwater and just stigmatize people who are working on practical stuff that is difficult. Practical shit's difficult. You build something and actually put it out in the world – it, things have unintended consequences. Things are things are complicated, but like, let's not stigmatize that in favor of someone saying something that sounds nice but is never going to happen. You know what I mean? They can write a book and put it out on Verso or whatever, but like, that shit's never going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Sorry, like, that, uh, you know, call me a capitalist realist, but like, it's not going to happen. You know? <laughs> I, I mean, no, I mean, it's a really interesting point, and 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 I mean, the, the one thing though, I mean, I push back a little bit. Um, which is kind of the thing about you know I, I think it 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 to- I totally agree with just you know the fact that techs <laughs> overscoping to use your word um I would say like kind of um techno determinism is kind of how I view it you know uh take on these uh, you know the last twenty five years of transformative supposedly determinative and transformative technologies that all had a social component for which there were many futures, right? And detaching the tools and the potential of those tools and the very, very real potential and exciting potential of those tools from like those broader dynamics. But, but I also, you know, I think that that it would be insincere for us to pretend that like some of the energy and some of the social attention around some of the investment around these technologies is at least partially related and dependent on kind of the broader, you know, 
post-quantitative easing <laughs> during the pandemic, people getting, at least in the US, governmental checks, like fluff economy that and it's speculative 100%. economy that has like yeah. thrown a lot of money. And, and and I totally see saying like, of course there are some bad actors and like like snake oil salesmen here. But but that's part of it seems to me at least that that's part of the political economy of crypto in in a way that maybe that that just saying well those are are the bad ones doesn't quite doesn't quite um address their their importance to the whole of of this moment and this movement yeah no i i think i think that's totally fair i mean right like let's be real like the first use case of digital money and tokens was speculating on them right <laughs> like the, there's 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 no there's no doing away with that um and we can have an argument as to i mean the, ultimately we can have a kind of futile argument as to you know the the relative the relative merits of that like right like one person's kind of democratization of an investment environment is another person's like ponzi uh nightmare and i think it's very complex and and that's totally fair and you can't disentangle these things um as i said i mean you know i i point i mean i think is like a great entry point reading that time uh, uh piece with vitalik is is really useful and also reading some of the pushback right because there's a lot of people within the crypto sphere who once that came out you know, we're chiding and berating Vitalik online being like, stop moralizing, you know, you're talking about Ethereum being public goods, like that's all cute. But, you know, we, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, the point is that there's a battle for there's a battle for, of ideas happening in this space. There's a ridiculous amount of money circulating. I mean, the, the one message I would have is like, you know, I can stomach and I think there's a, a hundred arguments we can have that are very valid about you know, the scales of power intra crypto, um, what the best path forward will be, what the best path forward will be uh, regarding regulatory measures in different dis uh, uh, jurisdictions, right? There's, you know, there's corners of crypto that are working really closely with the state in the United States right now to like work on what they believe to be important regulation to bring everything kind of inside the tent. And there's corners of crypto that, you know, hate the state and want to build, you know, uh, build on the ocean, etc. right? Um, my my argument here is more just to say that like if we want to calibrate ourselves to be more effectively critical of what is transpiring, number one, we have to understand that many of these organizations are capitalized for generations, right? The, the, the treasuries involved in these organizations are so vast. Um, we, we're at a point whereby I think the number is something like if the price of Bitcoin gets to... 200 grand something like half the world's billionaires will be uh bitcoin people um right so wh whichever way we cut it this the first thing we can do that is power that will this be is there. not yeah the first thing we can do is just dismiss the idea that we can conscientiously object ourselves out of this being a force in our lifetimes right like this is here right that's the first thing we can just kind of agree upon right the, the next too much money is saying, it's okay, too much money to not continue to be here yeah Exactly. It's it's too much money. It's too entrenched. Uh, David uh, David Turner, who you, who you had on a couple of weeks ago, has written you know some some great pieces recently about just how in bed, for example, majors are with different crypto ideas. Um, and he's totally right. They're like th like this is happening for better and worse. And uh, but but so my question then becomes you know rather than kind of inheriting the great kind of uh, uh, opportunity for me and also kind of education for me and like like being kind of acculturated now in this crypto space for many years is being like, oh shit, actually, you know, there are kind of like, I would argue maybe kind of kitsch or somewhat kind of like historical uh, uh, leftist demands that can be made around, uh, around, you know, what our future infrastructure can look like. And in my mind, that is, you know, this constant kind of defaulting to saying, well, you know, actually the perfect, the perfect utopian system would be like a, a conveniently uncomplicated state-based solution to X, right? That's always the default position is being like, oh, there's this bad thing. Actually, we should democratically determine that everything should be run by the state. And I'm like, well, one, yeah, that, that rarely, rarely happens. And number two, I don't know if that would quite work out as seamlessly. <laughs> if it ever did happen, I don't think that would be quite as seamless and uncontroversial. As, no, it, as, it would as be the real world too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then the second point is saying, well, well, the more interesting part to me is 
you know, looking at developments that are happening within crypto currently, and then figuring out which aspect of that one can contribute to, right? And so within uh, within Ethereum, for example, which I know better uh, uh, better than most other ecosystems, there is this large war happening between, you know, uh, keeping uh, keeping the services that are are built on Ethereum, keeping them permanently open, keeping them permanently uh, uh, free to use outside of gas costs, which are ultimately going to be negligible. I mean, right now, Ethereum is very costly to use, but ultimately, whether it be 18 months or two years, ultimately, they're going to be negligible. Like, there's an ideological battle happening there that I think is, is you know, this is a way, if, if your goal is ultimately to be critical of capital or capitalism, we need to calibrate to this new definition of how capitalism works in order to be able to understand how to be effective within it, right? Because we, we live under capitalism, uh, you know, take a Branko Milanovic or whatever, right? Like capitalism alone, right? Every, we, we, we can't LARP uh, an existence outside of this, right? So the face of contemporary capitalism will increasingly start utilizing these dynamics, um, and so we kind of need to update our uh, our perspective and our ideas and kind of our, our more kind of practical, optimistic uh, goals to that new landscape. And it's not it's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it to get cooties, you know, like like that. That's not that's not going to that's not going to work. Like the scale of the problem is actually is actually too is actually too real um, uh, 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 to do that. But 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 you won't find any argument with me that like when you're dealing with the current state of crypto, you know, the, 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 the entanglement with, you know, in, in, with, with wild uh, financialization, with wild, you know, uh, in some cases, I think kind of interesting new concepts of, of, of how value is exchanged um, uh, uh, or in some cases kind of heinous examples of how value exchange, we can't get away from that. That, that is the, that is the history and that is where we're at. Right. Like, that, but I just, I'm just of the position where I'm like, it's not going away, <laughs> you know, like, uh, uh, so, so yeah, no, no argument. That's a very fair comment. So, so just thinking again about, and, and I think that we, to speak for Saxon too, I think that we fundamentally agree with that, that I think our, our approach to thinking about this from maybe the first episode was kind of, some people are planning a future. <laughs> we agree with some of the people who are planning futures. We disagree with other people planning the futures, but if you take a couple more than a couple billion dollars and start planning a future, it's not going to have a negligible impact on whatever happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but so to kind of go back a little bit, I'd be interested, you know, to kind of like uh, to, to kind of really locate this in, you know, thinking about the music industry is um, maybe take the, the, some of the, the futures that we don't particularly like side and think about them for a second. Like you mentioned the extent to which um, – the majors are increasingly involved and invested in some of, and not just majors, major video game companies too, right? Invested and in, involved in thinking about crypto and Web3 and how they're going to tenaciously cling to life and power through a period of, of continued technological transformation. So I'm wondering if you'd be willing to kind of put on put on your black hat for, for, for with us for a minute and maybe think through like w w worst case scenario right <laughs> like what what does that look like if, yeah. if universal music gets exactly what it wants what does it look like yep. yeah no it's a great point i mean I, I remember at the beginning of kind of the nft culture war stuff um i tweeted something along the lines of you know if we don't and this is we saying people who have been involved in building uh crypto infrastructure if we don't manage to successfully articulate um, the benefits of, let's say, decentralized governance, right? The idea that anybody uh, can have ownership in a protocol and perhaps have a, a staking vote in, in the direction of that protocol. If we do not um, advocate for some of the cool principles of like, I mentioned this word composability earlier, right? The ability to take something and then do something with it because it's open code, right? These kind of open source principles. The idea of permissionlessness, right? The idea that anybody can go and interact with an open blockchain and do stuff with that data, right? And a good example being like, you know, you don't like the way that, uh, that you know, uh, platform X, let's say a Spotify is dealing with your music, you would be able to go, somebody else will be able to go and build a better 
build a better tool without you losing anything, right? This is this is a great like remixability of the infrastructure that we use. These are these are in my mind fundamental. Uh, uh, some of the fundamental principles of why crypto was such a good idea. If we don't educate people about that, then we run the risk of central actors like, say, a Spotify or an Instagram, who both, by the way, as as you probably know by now, you know, are working on NFT proposals. We have a danger of centralized kind of top-down entities stepping into this space um, and selling digital collectibles and nobody telling the difference. Right. And, and ultimately, I think that's where a universal or many of these other actors, that's kind of the most scary scenario, is the idea that all the energy that has gone into thinking of ways to, I would characterize it like thinking of ways to kind of facilitate new value exchange around abundant media, which is one of the cool things about NFTs that is rarely talked about, right? Like people people will, will will often bring up this kind of critique of saying, oh, it's introducing scarcity. And it's like, that's not true, actually. Like that's actually kind of bullshit. The, the you know, all digital media is scarce at the moment of production because you own that digital media. There's an owner of that digital media, right? That's a law thing, right? You have to fight that in court. That's not like a, right? What NFTs have managed to do beyond the apes what NFTs have managed to do, which is really interesting, as a file type, as a medium, what it's managed to do is it's managed to, to create a weird scenario of like feasible abundance where you'll, you'll be really hard pressed to find an NFT where you aren't allowed to freely enjoy the art, right? But then there's this other tier of financialization, value exchange, however, you know, you want to like, uh, 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 you know, half full, half empty the glass, right? Um, there's this whole other tier of custom that happens on top of freely available media. I'm like, we've been trying to solve this problem for a long time. That's a that's that's kind of a big deal, and and that is facilitated by again. I go back to these old principles of like open networks, right? Like things being free, open source principles. Most people, I was at East Denver, and anyone I spoke to who's doing anything regarding music, they're all talking about what CD. This is what this is the legacy. Yeah. So so Jesse Walden, who you know is one of the most prominent uh, uh, VCs and kind of thought leaders in this space. He coined the term the ownership economy with the idea that, you know, basically he believes, and I think he's correct on this, um, that in the future there'll be an expectancy, there'll be an expectation that uh, that users of protocols or platforms or services that they contribute value to uh, have a degree of ownership in it. You know, when he speaks, we actually had him on the podcast to talk openly about this, right? Like, his background is in file sharing, you know, like a lot, a lot of people on, I would argue the more uh, interesting side of, of Ethereum are coming from this background of like fundamentally for them, they want to try and find value systems that don't lock people out of enjoying art that are, that are generative in this kind of way. And so the putting the, 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 you know, the doomer perspective on is that if people don't fully understand that, and they believe, as is the common kind of line that you would read from reading uh, from reading uh, most articles published in, ma- in mainstream news about this stuff, that this is just really kind of a hacky Ponzi scheme uh, for people to collect uh, digital collectibles of, of ape pictures or whatever. Then they're not going to tell the difference when you know, uh, in actuality, Universal Music Group or whoever the next one might be are running centralized private chains that don't let anybody build on top of or uh, or do interesting composable, remixable things with with that content where ultimately they, again, are just top-down determining uh, uh, the, econ- the economic system for, for every artist that participates there. And of course, uh, with, with their budget and with their and with their catalog, uh, they'll bring a lot to the table. And so, again, this is why, in my opinion, um, I personally don't think you can stop. I mean, look, we can't stop them from doing stuff and experimenting. In my opinion, I still believe that when you talk to most people uh, in the Ethereum ecosystem, you know, they're wary of of kind of legacy, you know, uh, uh, in, you know, legacy uh, 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 media entities like that, right? Like they're wary of Warner entering the space, irrespective of the fact that, like, you know, you, you can find many examples, like, like they're wary of this because it contravenes many of the the principles of why they're involved in this stuff. And and I'll also put to you that, you know, this is the flip side of, you know, on the one hand, you can say there's many reasons to be critical of crypto because there's a lot of people who, you know, 
are building this stuff who, as a result of being involved in Ethereum for a long time, all of a sudden have a bunch of money. Um, you know, on the one hand, that can insulate them from critique. That can make some people a bit myopic and a bit blinkered or maybe a bit kind of bullheaded. Um, on the other hand, it also means that there's a lot of people building stuff that they're kind of doing it because they want to. They're, like, they kind of don't have to do something they don't want to do. You know, so in, so in a sense, like, that same, that same, uh, that same reality that there's a lot of people in crypto who who are doing this who have you know uh, uh who are very financially comfortable also kind of helps for some of this stuff you know because because you have people who who want to see a new intranet and uh you know they don't have to they don't have to work with a universal or or you know they get to they get to kind of experiment with what this new inter internet would look like because they're not under the same kind of uh, uh, financial pressures as other people, even though that is of course a you know a complicated uh, a complicated situation. Um, so yeah, so I think I think the real danger ultimately is that people aren't educated about their the options that may be available to them with this new internet, and as a result, we just get a more locked down. Uh, uh, you know, uh, set of toys um, that that replicate the same kind of decision making structures um, that we have today. I think that would be a, a tragedy, honestly. But I'm pretty optimistic, to be honest, um, because I don't think I don't think fundamentally they'll win. And there's many reasons why I don't believe they'll win. Um, I believe that they will exist, but I don't believe they'll win. I think there's enough there's enough to this space with enough heft and. Uh, and and with enough uh, kind of clever people uh, uh, contributing to it, I believe there's enough to this space to, at the very least, present multiple competing uh, 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 visions for how culture will look on the internet uh, moving forward. So I, I'm I'm pretty optimistic about this, but absolutely, yeah, like uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of stuff that sucks, <laughs> but you know, like, <laughs> but but what what's new? Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like like what's new? Like it, it all depends on what we what we choose to focus our time on. Right. Like, I mean, to be absolutely honest, you know, between you both, I don't know you very well, but like, I know a bit about, you know, we, we come from similar, like, when have you ever cared about major labels? Genuinely? I'm not, I'm not like being, being kind of like cheeky here, but it's like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, like, like that does have, it does apply some kind of downward pressure and it used to apply some kind of downward pressure in a paradigm we maybe grew up with, right. Where it's like, you know, made decisions to compliment majors at Spotify end up hurting the the cool weird band or whatever. But I think we're moving into a paradigm where their decisions will actually mean less and less, or at least we have a fighting chance that their decisions meaning less and less. You know, so so while yeah, but specifically I mean, like for the independent sort of music space as it's called right now, and I know that's a huge umbrella term though, right? Because because I think the thing that I struggle with sometimes is like really kind of trying to actually envision like or see the more concrete vision that's being um put forth here you know and like the, the the best way that i can that i could kind of like when i try to think about that you know what what does that future look like it does seem to me like more like of a collective of say like smaller indie labels that maybe like put forth you yep. know uh music that's of a similar genre like working in like you know um you know, some sort of like DAO space or something like that. Like that's kind of what I'm like seeing it. And like I think sometimes like the headlines I read is like this will revolutionize like the 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 you know, state of music <laughs> industry. And I'm like, but when I get into the nitty gritty of it, it seems more like just creating a little bit more autonomy and a little bit more say like power and like interconnected networks, I guess, like between labels moving forward. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I mean, I, th I think it's kind of both, right? Like I entertain both. I'm definitely, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm that person. Like I love like psychedelic tech ideas. I dedicate my life to it. So we'll, we'll go there, but let's say, right. Like what you're what you're describing, I think is right. I was tweeting with lucky me records the other day, you know, and they were saying quite openly, they're like, look, for our purposes, we find this quite cool because we quite like the idea. We work under a traditional like 50-50 indie label model. We really like the idea of having our finances and the protocol of the way we interact with the world being open and transparent. We want to, you know, I don't know, I, I, I don't know exactly what they have in mind, but they're like, we see an opportunity here to, uh, you know, encode those principles 
into a piece of software or let's say a contract that's available for anybody to see online. Um, and as a result, you know, we can have more open, trustful kind of relationships collaborating with people, you know, uh, people will be able to see that let's say Lucky Me Records or some other independent record label really means what they say, right? Because actually, you know, rather than it being something opaque, you can actually look on chain and see, oh, cool, like here's the splits. Like when I pay this amount of money for this piece of media, right? Like that money is then going over here to the producer. It's going over here, right? These are these are some of the basic ideas. I think uh, the basic functionalities that can be applied to a previous, you know, a more familiar music industry paradigm. I think there's a lot there. And exactly when you talk to me about that stuff, I'm like, yeah, it's cool, but. I don't know if, uh, you know, I don't know if in like 50 years time, there's going to be uh, books outside of like, you know, music business management courses. And if they exist in 50 years time, I don't think there's going to be many books written about how revolutionary that was. Right. Um, now, where where I stand is like maybe a bit more on, on the fringes of this is like, I think there's going to be way bigger changes that come with music that are closer than many would feel many would anticipate um we do a lot of work with machine learning for example and like that shit's coming really fast um the ability you know uh, i don't know if we want to talk about this but like holly and i've been working on this holly plus project for the last year and it's like there's a very close reality that like you know in the next couple of years people will be able to release records as other people um the you know the tool set to manage that in a way that's fair doesn't really exist because that's kind of a new concept and it just so happens that these kind of open uh these open ways of dealing with ip in a trusted manner being able to you know identify the source let's say in like a deep fake environment be able to actually identify where something's coming from it just so happens that this new way of doing the internet is really useful for that right and we're seeing that in like you know if people would stop fucking focusing on apes they would look over to NFT projects like, you know, Dom Hoffman from X Vines Loot, right? Which has been this very interesting, like, insane, like they're building like this open source game where initially, you know, he published these NFTs that just had words on them for characters. And now, you know, people who own those NFTs are then building those characters out, right? Like, He's building like a new kind of media, a new kind of culture organization based on these open principles where anybody can take something and anyone can contribute to it. Um, you know, I remember years ago that the South African director who did, oh God, what was his name? Um, Neil, Neil Blomkamp started a studio called Oats and he had this whole idea where he's like the future of um you know, the future of the movie industry is going to be like a combination of directors working with an audience and building out these worlds where anybody can contribute something. And of course, you know, different people have ideas for for how populist uh, uh, that could be functionally, right? Like I'm not a populist and I don't want to, I don't want to hear a song written by 10,000 people, um, right? But, but I like the idea of hearing songs written by 10,000 people. And I also think there's ways to incorporate 10,000 people into new kinds of cultural organizations that produce new kinds of art. And I think there's ways to do that in a really equitable and open and transparent way too. And the tool set to do that happens to exist in crypto and doesn't really exist. Um, and I'll put, I'll put this to you, right? Uh, you know, the tool set to manage that I do not want, particularly when we're talking about machine learning stuff, and I hope this isn't sounding like I've just like, I've, I've smoked too much. I promise you that this is very real. This is not like me just saying shit. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the validation. But like, you do not want there to be one central authority, for example, managing all machine learning models going forward, right? Like, we do not want that. That is actually a big deal. So some of these principles, you know, when you start, as, as I say, when you start applying that to, you know, old world kind of like, you know, kind of like releasing a record, you know, they, they provide utility. They're kind of cool. Uh, for where media is going, I think that's where it starts getting starts getting more serious and 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 more exciting, depending on how you do it. And I didn't know that you did machine learning stuff, so that's really cool uh, uh, and 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 vindicating. Because oftentimes when I talk about that, it's like I feel like a lunatic. It's it's already yeah uh, uh, yeah. So 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 I'm with you. I mean yeah. Rad. Yeah yeah. But this is the point. As I think you know. 
uh, and again, it, it's really difficult, you know, in an environment where there's a lot of like, you know, uh, you know, techno utopian mad libs, right? Like where the vast majority of people, that stuff drives me crazy too, right? Like the, the vast majority of people don't know the difference between someone spouting some, like something they read on Reddit about AI, right? And someone who's like, hey, like, you know, I, I work with this and like, you know, uh, uh, we probably start needing, we probably start to need to build infrastructure for like managing your, your, the data that goes into these training sets. Because if we think that the concentration of power with like a Spotify is a problem, it's going to be a way, way bigger problem when there's a concentration of power that, you know, of people, uh, uh, you know, uh, of people uh, uh, producing data sets that can just infinitely produce new art and media. Um, and, and, and I can report on that, that like, you know, the, the advancements in that are, are, we're talking about like, they're getting better at a clip of like every three months. Like that stuff is not really overblown, to be honest. Um, the AGI stuff is where, you know, like people being like, oh, it's, it's alive. That stuff can be overblown. But in terms of like people being able to produce media in the likeness of somebody or, you know, just spin up, spin up songs in the style of some, something or other, like that, that's just coming really fast. Um, and so for me, you know, uh, that's where uh, that's where this stuff actually has the potential to be quite. Uh, I hate using the word, but like I won't say revol revolutionary, but like, but but just super novel and new and fascinating and like very twenty first century, right? And so applying these things to twentieth century models of culture, yeah, there's utility. That's cool, but this is really just like some weird retrofit job. Like like I feel like the the, the crypto stuff I'm most excited about is like building infrastructure that can take that can take the load of what's coming and that's really exciting and fascinating and and i wish that i wish that the tech clash would would uh, wouldn't be encouraging so many people to be uh luddites on this topic because it's because because there's so much to look forward to in that respect there you just heard part one of our conversation with matt dryhurst we'll be dropping part two next week thanks for listening